how's the cat situation? Oh my god, getting a urine sample from a cat is is not easy, and mm. we did not su- succeed in doing it. But the good news is the vet did, and uh, Linus is doing great. Do 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 bitty do. Oh, good. Well, that was just to he verify. He doesn't have he any parasites. Good. He's got a happy life. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, the way is there wasn't to get him medication. Types. It was just to verify he was okay. Well, we did get him some medication because of anxiety stuff. But we, you know, when cats are ill. They often are very meowing, but it can be a number of things. And I was, he kind of. Been, you just wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he, cats yak sometimes. And so you gotta, you gotta check in on them. They're trying yep. to tell you in their own meow language that I don't, I only partially speak. So. Something is wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well. So we're doing Scott. Okay. Tom Scott wakes <laughs> I love the way you wrote that. It's like, that is a good summation. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed writing that, I will say. <laughs> well, I guess we can get started then. Yeah. So the Republican presidential race is all but over now at this point, now that New Hampshire <laughs> has voted. But, you know, I'm glad Nikki Haley is soldiering through, at least for now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think overall, we talked about this last week, that I think a lot of people in the political press, they underestimated how weak Donald Trump is as a candidate, a general election candidate. And I think that was the big headline for me out of the results Mm -hmm. of the New Hampshire primary, that this is a guy who he has a cult. Uh, personality cult, but most people don't want to be in it. <laughs> yeah, That's and they happen to be a particularly to. sort of his cult tends to attract very loudmouth, ostentatious types who mm-hmm. beat on pans and and that kind of thing. So they are, command a lot of attention, but they're yeah. not they're not representative of a larger audience. Yeah. And I mean, the numbers are are just, they're clear in so many ways. But the other thing about it is that on the Democratic side, um, Joe Biden wasn't even on the ballot in New Hampshire this year. Um, and that was the first time in perhaps decades, I think, that it, something like this has happened. Um, and the reason being that the New Hampshire Democrats violated the Democratic National Committee's rule that you can't have a primary before South Carolina next month. And so Joe Biden did not campaign in New Hampshire, did not have his name on the ballot. And nonetheless, he got 69,666 votes as of this recording, which, interestingly enough, Barack Obama in 2012, when he was on the ballot and the president, got 49,080 votes. So... I think that shows something that Joe Biden is not as as weak as people think he is. And, or as, like, you know, as the press would like for us to believe. Yeah, yeah. They want, and, they and want I to think have... a fair amount of people who are on our side are just simply who don't want Trump in office and are fearful about the implications of that for democracy. The, the kind mm-hmm. of fear that people have of, of, of Trump, I think it's a reassuring thing. 
the line military. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there were lots of exit polls showing that many of the voters in New Hampshire who were voting in the Republican primary, who had picked Haley, they said they would not vote for Trump in the general election. They would vote for Joe Biden, in fact. A lot of this goes down to that one of the most fundamental laws of politics is negative partisanship. And it's so constant. I think political journalists, a lot of times, they forget that it's there. It's like a fish knowing that it, water is wet. They just forget about it. And, and again, the reality is when you look at the polls, that the Republican Party, uh, since Trump, is a personality cult. And so when you look at non-Trump Republicans in other offices, like they don't really have any enthusiasm. The, the Republican electorate doesn't really actually like them very much. It's only Trump that that they have that has this enthusiasm. And a lot of the Republican electorate is just simply people who have this crazy idea that the Democratic Party is extreme. Like it is such a pervasive and and you and this is something that you and I have texted about frequently, but I don't I don't think we've talked about it too much on the show here. But it's so it is so pervasive. And like for me, when I was a Republican, I definitely bought into that that viewpoint. Um, well, and, and I, I think it's unfortunately a viewpoint that is bolstered every time we see the media not doing its job and mm. equating what's like, well, Trump really did decide to shoot someone on Fifth Avenue today and Biden <laughs> fell off a bike. So the parties mm -hmm. are the same. I don't know if it's bolstered in the sense that it makes more people agree with it, but it's definitely an idea that they push. And it's it's one of the things that drives me crazy about the way that they cover this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and like these this coverage of, oh, some a college student said a wacky thing. A left-wing demonstrator had a sign that was offensive. And then you compare that to a member of Congress is proposing yeah. a law to ban this <laughs> or to to fire so-and-so or says he will, and Trump says he will imprison or execute a general. But not even that, just also it's, if it's even, yeah, a college student said something wacky and then a Trump supporter says that they're, they're going to go on a, a, a wanton killing spree, the, maybe Biden gets a question about the college student, but we never hear the press asking Republicans to account for every nut job in their party. There's just a different kind of way that I think that there's an assumed mm -hmm. accountability for that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that plays into the the dynamic between conservative, moderate, and reactionary that we have talked about a few, a few times here. And but it, it that keeping that in mind is really important because it's just, yeah, the the identity theft of conservative by reactionaries, it's I think is sort of the biggest untold story in American politics that people do not understand what a conservative, actual conservative is. And it's Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema. That's what a conservative is. It's not, you know. I'm not Donald sure that Trump. I think that Kirsten Cinema is a, a conservative. I'm, I'm not sure that I think that she subscribes to much of anything except for, except for self promotion. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. I mean, well, you're, 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 you're giving her a sort of like ideology that she has mm -hmm. completely inconsistent on, particularly in her past. And now she just mm -hmm. seems to vote for things 
or, or vote against things because she thinks that that's going to get her ahead somehow. I mean, she's just done a lot of self-damage. But anyway, that's, let's, not, <laughs> let's not flatter her by giving her any kind of consistency yeah. of thought. Well, she definitely is not going to get reelected. We know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the scuttlebutt for a while there from people who know her was that she actually thought she was going to run for president. Uh, like she was getting gassed up by all these donors. And that's part of why she started. I'll just call it acting out, which is hilarious. <laughs> Talk about getting lost in your own shit. But uh, anyway, so Haley is moving forward. So we can probably mm -hmm. expect that there will be continued attacks on her from Trump, mm -hmm. which are, I don't even want to call them thinly veiled. I mean, they are racist dog whistles. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, in fact, be explicitly said, but when asked about it by Fox's Brett Bearer, it's a reference to her name, wherever she may be from. And so I, you can't get any more racist than that. That it's on in right wing social media, you often hear them refer to people with light brown skin as mystery meat. That's a common insult that is used. And that's basically him saying that about her. And yeah, and but and of course, and, and Nikki Haley, she says it, quote, it, they don't bother me, these insults, which I can believe that she would say that. It's it definitely in character for her to say that. Yeah. And she chalked it up to Trump's insecurity. This is the way that he lashes out when he's feeling insecure yeah. or, and he's, he's always feeling insecure, which would explain why yeah. he's insistently racist. But then a few days later, she also talked about how her family was the only Indian family in their small Southern town. And she said she'd been teased every day for being brown. I mean, Nikki Haley, and she's done this throughout her career, but the way she sort of toggles between exploiting her background as a brown first-generation person when she thinks it's useful and then appealing to the worst kind of white supremacist sentiments of the folks that she's trying to appeal to is just so tiring. I mean, which is it? I, I actually, for a piece that I did about anti-Blackness among all of the candidates of cover, color, went through two of her books, right? And essentially, uh, I, I want to say that I started Kelly. off scanning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wanted to scan them, but you but you kind of get stuck in the pattern of actually having to read a lot more than you wanted. And her books are chock full of uh, accounts of racism that she experienced in her life. Um, her father at a fruit stand had the cops called on him. She talks about, she's told the beauty pageant mm -hmm. story where she didn't get to compete because she was neither black nor white. That, in, in the town that her parents mm -hmm. moved to in South Carolina, they couldn't get a rental because people, because they were brown and immigrants. Uh, when her father could only, was pro I think trying to teach at other places and was ended up teaching at an HBCU. And she says that there were attacks for that. They couldn't get a babysitter for Nikki and her siblings because no one in town wanted to take care of those brown kids. When they finally did, her parents discovered that the babysitter was abusing her. I mean, it's a uh, there was a Republican donor, a major South Carolina Republican donor who she doesn't identify in the book. A lot of people have started speculating on who it is, but who basically said he was going to wait because he was a little worried about giving her money for her gubernatorial run, I think it was because he didn't want to find out that someone in her family was a terrorist. 
I mean, this is oh. throughout, but she had a, she talked to a well-known campaign advisor who wouldn't take her on because they were too concerned about her brownness and her otherness. So mm. these are stories that she has documented in black and white. And then she goes on TV shows and talks about how America's never been a racist country, despite the fact that it's like, I, I have the words that you've <laughs> written and the many stories that you've told. So you know, it's difficult for me to muster much sympathy for her because she really engages in this stuff in the worst way. And then it's the leopards come and, and nosh on your face. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that I think that's that's great. And, and I know that, uh, that she had written all that. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. And but yeah, I mean, like the that is kind of the the Republican Party is about denying reality in okay. almost every possible way, whether it's denying that racism exists or and that the Constitution ha has racism or was founded on racism in many different ways and or not just race either, though, like just denying that trans people exist and have okay. always existed or and, and introducing now at the state level, we've seen like legislation proposals of to literally erase the personhood of trans people, right? So it's not yeah. just rhetorical attacks. They're actually trying to codify those stuff. And that's who they are, just trying to disappear mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Well, and, and then, and they, and they still haven't gotten over the idea that human beings evolved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like this is a concept that Charles Darwin came out with. What is the late 19th century is when he came out with it. And they still haven't accepted it. And we to love this social day, Darwinism, which is what yeah. Darwin was opposed to, but they love social Darwinism. It's just yeah, the, that, core, that, that that's, the, the core ideas of, of, of Darwin is what they oppose. Like, interesting that cherry picking yeah. seems to be a, a, a real talent on the right. Yeah. Although now speaking of social Darwinism, though, the people who are the most in love with social Darwinism are the anti diversity, equity, and inclusion people. Um, they love that stuff. And the New York Times came out with a story that is based on the private emails that were obtained by Freedom of Information Act requests to colleges, looks like, because there were several public university professors on these emails. And they got inside the a lot of the anti-reverse racism, anti diversity, whatever they want to call themselves. Anti-DEI. Um, yeah. DEI. Yeah, anti-DEI. Uh, I like to call um, them anti-anti-racist. Yeah, or anti-anti-racist. Yeah, and although in, in, in the emails, we saw that some of them were, of course, rather explicitly racist, including most egregiously a woman named Heather McDonald, who said a number of racist things and also appears to seem to hate women as well, refers to a woman she was talking about as a female. And so, yeah, there's some 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 additional self-loathing in that uh, side for her. She also took the time to insult Peter Thiel's, I guess there was some sort of a confrontation, confrontation between Peter Thiel's husband and someone who, according to the article, is Peter Thiel's boyfriend. I don't know any of the details behind that, but 
she made some statements about how this is kind of typical of gay men and she rips on some anti-LGBTQ stuff, but also Mm -hmm. manages to, at one point, I think she co-signs the idea of prison for gay people, which she says is an idea that happens abroad, but she, she give that a thumbs up. She complained about nannies of color in her mm-hmm. in the neighborhoods in Manhattan. You'd think she'd love to see nannies of color women as working in any kind of domestic role, but apparently even that's too much for her. Because they but, can't be trusted to Well, because be in she called them quote, white the low, low IQ third world women. I mean, yeah, she's 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 awful. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, I'll say while I was a right-wing activist from about 2005 until about 2014 or so i identified as a as a secular non-religious conservative so i guess i didn't really like libertarians to be honest but people i'd call me that and i was like whatever i guess and so but i largely ignored the christian right and and they were sort of the impetus for me getting out but then as i was coming out I was like, well, let me just see what the if what these other secular conservatives say, and maybe I can get them to help me stand up to the Christian right. So I started following them, and one of them was Heather McDonald. And I reached out to her before I, I took a trip to New York one time, and we had lunch together. And she said at our lunch that she believed Black people were genetically inferior to other races. And I was like, well... I guess I'm done here (laughs) with the idea of trying to save the Republican Party because, yeah, the ones who are not insane Christian fundamentalists are vile racists. So, and I don't want to be any of those things. So I guess there's no place for me. And that was when I got out for good at that point. I mean, so thanks, Heather McDonald. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Full transparency with you. I think one of the things that that struck me, I mean, obviously, I'm never surprised about racism on the right or transphobia or homophobia or, or any number of isms or hateful things they might say. But a thing that they often sort of cloak their their hatred in, I guess, is just this idea that what they actually want is like diversity of thought and that they hate the fact that kids are being indoctrinated and that they're trying to what they don't want is for schools to turn into indoctrination centers. And there were two different emails, one from Thomas Klingenstein of the Claremont Institute, who said that there were folks on the right who were arguing that we want not political education. And in this email where he felt it was okay to be frank and open, he wrote, no, we don't. We want our politics. All education is political. And this Idaho professor who he was conversing with and who led apparently one of these anti-DEI efforts for Claremont added an alternative vision of education must replace the current Mm -hmm. vision of education. In the short short term, state legislatures can get out of the business of banning and get into the business of demanding, demanding the certain conclusions about American history be delivered. So I love that there is a moment there where I mean, we see what they really mean, which is what it's always been about. They never were worried about kids being indoctrinated on the left. They were never were worried about no. 
I mean, what they what they want is for kids to be indoctrinated to their ideas and to get rid of yep. what they're what they're politically opposed to and ideo ideologically opposed to. And they're frank about it when they talk to each other. I'm yeah. not sure if this is actually this piece was a pretty lengthy piece with obviously a lot of digging and and it's about uh, I don't know if the Times undertook it because of I mean they do investigative reports and I, I, I've been not feeling great about the Times lately but I'll give them credit on this I'm not sure if they undertook it because they realized um, I was gonna say because they realized how like they've just gotten reamed lately for how poor a job that they've done on falling for so many right right wing grifts but you know they they the New York mm -hmm. Times does investigative stuff all the time. I'm not sure, though, and you and I kind of discussed this over text. I don't know if this will have, between kind of the fallout from all the gay stuff and Claudine Gay, I mean, the, who is the, <laughs> the yeah. former president of, yeah, let me clarify that, the <laughs> former president of Harvard, who who was essentially, it's clear, forced to step down. Canceled. <laughs> and, and the fact that Christopher Rufo uh, and, and a number of other bad actors led that campaign, and I, I think the the Times was rightly and roundly mocked for the, the way they picked this up, along with the Washington Post and some other papers. I would hope that something like this would change the way that they cover this stuff, but I, I can't be sure that it will. I do think that there is a kind of unmasking that's happening right now. It's happening, I think, way too late because it was always clear what their motivations were. But, you know, mm -hmm. you deal with what you've got and you're... I'm happy to see it. We'll see what, yeah. you know, what comes of it. Yeah. And I will say that the author of the story, Nick Confessore, he actually is one of their best reporters over there, in my opinion. And we follow each other on Twitter. So I'll give him I mean, a <laughs> he, he did a great job on this piece. But then like a day after that piece came out, it, it there was an announcement that Chaya Rychik, who is, Famously, the person who runs Lives of TikTok and who spends all her time making a huge deal out of anything happening in a school that she's politically opposed to, from just gay teachers existing to children of color having clubs. And she's, you know, that coverage that she has, because she has a pretty awful following, has led to bomb threats in places like Tulsa. And, and yet... A day after the New York Times piece that we were talking about came out, we learned that she's just mm -hmm. been appointed to the Oklahoma Department of Education's Library and Media Advisory, Advisory Committee, which means that she will have a voice in picking books in schools. Normally, you would think this is maybe just kind of they throw her up there as just kind of some figurehead or just like a they just it's like hiring a star professor. A token gesture. But in this case, she's a pretty active person. I can imagine that she will fully exploit that position as much as she can. So we're still oh, yeah. we're still seeing this this kind of stuff, and I don't I'm not sure that we're going to see it slow down anytime soon, even as the unmasking happens and unfolds. Yeah, well, and and just to uh, circle back to a thing we mentioned in the bonus episode that we just came out with that that's related to that. this unmasking is that of course they're now starting to stopping the pretense of liking Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. So if you missed that one and you're not a paid subscriber, you should you should get with the program, please. <laughs> Matt Gates, the representative from Florida, was on Newsmax recently and talked about why he thinks the GOP doesn't really need woman voters. And the quote 
the priceless quote is <laughs> for every Karen we lose, there's a Julio and a Jamal ready to sign up for the MAGA movement, which is he's obviously <laughs> talking about black and Latino men. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's where we are. Yeah. And I'm glad he, he put the cards on the table. So frankly, in that regard, to be honest, like I'm actually going to write a, an article about this subject <laughs> because it goes back to the injustice is a multifaceted thing, but it also, since we do have, at least for now, a representative democracy, you have to campaign on it in one way or another. And so during the, let's say the cold war era. The primary facet of reactionary campaigning was Christian supremacism and racism. Like those were kind of what they emphasized most heavily in their messaging and whatnot. And now as the religion component has faded for Gen Z, Gen Z is historically less religious. Evangelicals are just down in the dumps. Fundamentalism is down across the board. People are just don't believe the nonsense anymore, the religious nonsense. And so it's harder to, to get people to, to be convinced by that. And so they've had to downplay that and shift to one of their other facets, which is hatred of women and, and a hatred of sexual minorities. And so this is Gates just telling us this is what we're going for. And they are doing that. And it, it reminds me of why you never see like in my lifetime, I think I've only known three women who were libertarians, three, because libertarianism, generally speaking, is kind of a secular conservatism. But most women who are right wing are, you know, very, very religious. That's why they're politically right wing. And it's not because they have, are into the principles and the ideas. It's because they think Jesus wants them to submit to the man. That's why they do it. And, yeah. and so, you know, but, and, and so like this, this is the new shtick and like, that's why they're flooding the zone with all these toxic people like Andrew Tate and awful pretend masculine people like Matt Walsh and all these other guys that are trying to cultivate the incel audience because this is, this is what they have to do because Gen Z and millennials, they're much less white. And so you can't do as explicit of racism as you could in the past with them, because many of them in fact are not white. <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to tell black people, yes, black people are inferior, but come and vote for us. Not a good message. So instead yeah. it is, it's time to subjugate the women and put them back in their place where they belong. And uh -huh. so, yeah, Gates. Again, this is another mask off moment. So I'm glad for that. And you know what? Hey, if you're going to decide to write off the majority of voters, you guys go right ahead with your bad self. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing that's kind of left unsaid in that clip, though, is just the assumption that these voters will be so easily won over. And I think that says something about the way that Gates views Black and Latino men. I mean... It's, it's, it's not that he thinks they're going to be difficult customers or that maybe they'd have to amend their language or they'd have to change some of their politics. We'll just go no. after those dudes. It, they'll be easy to pick off. And maybe he's looked at some recent polls that seen them getting some traction and also maybe looked at, I mean, there is this Republican belief that Black folks are super down with Donald Trump because they have people like Charlemagne the God and uh, mm -hmm. Meek Mill People who are, let me just be clear, don't have their fingers on the pulse no. of our community. 
and who just and these guys are often, not and who very often talk out of their ass and yeah. who are often if you want to spend a day understanding and they're not major post- celebrities no either. they're not like, they're they're not major celebrities but even if they were just kind of familiar talking heads i mean there's not a ton of faith that black folks have in them people are not tuning into yeah. what meek mill is is saying to decide how they <laughs> vote so i i think there's this assumption that if they just keep leaning in into misguided rappers or people like Charlemagne, who says all kinds of crazy bullshit all the time that that's how they're going to win yeah. over those audiences and that just says more about their thinking than it says, says anything about you know black folks in general and who they're listening to yeah well and it does also it should give pause though to the mainstream press though to stop putting these people forward as some sort of representative or proxy for black america and uh, yeah like, and yet it will not mm-hmm. No. Because we've <laughs> because we've seen for a few years. I mean, there's there is a really Meek Mill is has sort of emerged much more recently. I think because he's been tweeting about this stuff. But Charlemagne has become mm-hmm. this go to for so much white media who really don't understand the role Especially he plays Fox. and who yeah. and who think that because he was on the Breakfast Club or is on the Breakfast Club that he that he commands all this attention and that's just not how it works. I mean, they're just, they, they have no, no idea. So, I mean, but the, I, I don't, they're not going to stop pushing him. And also he offers them a way they already think this, right. It's, it's confirmation mm-hmm. bias for them. So, yeah. you know, that's, so they're going to keep running with this. They will keep offering him up as a spokesperson for, for black folks in general. Mm-hmm. Not working. Yeah, well, and and then it goes to their their longer term effort also of of voter depression for the Republicans. They know they don't have the majority, and so what they have to do is shrink the electorate, and right. they do it through voter suppression. So take away your ability to vote, but if they can't take your vote away, then they want you to give it up. Yeah, and just stay depression. home. Yeah. And so, and so like, that's what a lot of these efforts are about. Like they're, they don't, because to be fair to Charlemagne, he does in fact say that Donald Trump is a fascist and he would never support him and he hates him. Right. Uh, But he also said, he also Uh, says a number of cockamamie crazy things and is not a a role model in any way or someone that you should want or, or someone whose opinions on politics you should be soliciting. I mean, he is not someone that very closely follows this stuff. And he's a Howard Stern. He's a black Howard Stern. That's all he is basically. And less famous, (laughs) much less famous. Yeah. He's of the, he's of the shock, shock, shock variety. So yeah. Um, Yeah. But, but I'm only saying that though, that, you know, the the mainstream media and of course the right wing media does not promote the things that he says about Donald Trump being a fascist. No, uh, of course you know, not. Like they, they they never take talk what they about want. that stuff. Um, right. Yeah, because that fits within the voter depression narrative to get people to to think that well, Donald Trump, yeah, I don't really like him, but man, Joe Biden, he's just the worst. So, he's just too old. I don't want to vote for that guy. He's too terrible and and then and then you end up with no seat at the table at all. And if you're not, because I mean, and that's the the old saying in politics that if you're if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Um, that's pretty much how it works. So pull your head out of your ass if you have anybody, anyone who is listening to that crap. Yeah, get them to wake the fuck up. 
So, yeah. <laughs> In other news, Tim Scott, who dropped out a while ago, appeared with Donald Trump at his post-New Hampshire primary party, I guess his, his speech. He was behind him. And if you look at the footage, actually, it's, uh, first of all, even before we get to the part that's really, I think, the nugget of what we're going to talk about here, Tim Scott, have you ever seen extras who are doing way too much in the background of a scene? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tim Scott is already being that extra who it's like, just just mouth rhubarb and sit still. Like <laughs> You're not the main attraction, right? You're not the main character. But yeah. then they have this exchange and maybe I'd love for you to just yeah about it. sure well so no it was it was absolutely a classic extra scene and 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 it was also funny because he was like mugging for the cameras uh repeatedly as well so like multiple times he would before trump even got started the crowd started chanting usa usa and he he found the camera and he was like usa usa uh as well and this it was just completely soulless exhibition the entire night. I mean, it was a tour de force on on how to sell your soul. And, and he did it with glee uh, yeah. and with absolute delight. And basically with all kinds of things. So like most, I think most prominently, Nikki Haley was bashed by Trump and a variety of other people during that speech. And toward the end, Trump turned to, to mention Tim Scott and he was like, boy, she nominated you to be the senator. You're a senator because of her. You must really hate her. <laughs> and of course, the audience laughed. And Scott went into panic mode and came up around Trump and was like, excuse me, can I talk? And then said, no, I just love you. <laughs> and then everyone laughed, ha ha ha, like that. And they pretend to be, pretended to be buddies and kind of slap each other on the back. And then Tim Scott receded into the sunken place again, because that's where he lives. <laughs> um, and then, and then he, he also, this, I can't remember if this happened before or after that, the rally, but he announced on Twitter that his girlfriend is now his fiance and that she said, yes. She, and she I moved from Canada. That woman, yeah, <laughs> where she had a thriving modeling career and was also attending another school. So that's weird. But yeah, so he really, really wants this, I guess. And to be vice president. I, I often yeah. say that conservatives, you can't really harp on their hypocrisy or not, you can't really harp on certain things and think that it's going to shame them right because they they can't be shamed and watching this i thought wow tim scott cannot be embarrassed like i'm i no. feel like i'm so <laughs> embarrassed for him and he feels <laughs> none of that it was really a it's a show a, a show in i mean really just like a guide to selling your soul like you said just yeah it was I hope somebody has made a clip of it. I'm going to try to find one if there is one of just all the gestures and, and expressions that he made during the night. There there needs to be one. I will make it if it doesn't exist. Uh, Super but, yeah. cut. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, he's delighting in being the token. And usually people use the term pick me to refer to women who humor are desperate. But yeah. But this is classic pick me behavior. 
on Tim Scott's part. And I'm not black, Kelly, but I, I have to imagine that when a normal black person sees that type of behavior, kind of negates any sort of argument for the Republican Party <laughs> that you could make for it. I mean, it's a choice that it's a choice that he made, and it also seems incredibly pathetic because this and just a few this is just a few years ago that Tim Scott mm. was very openly saying, "Yes, racism is real. Yes, I'm stopped mm -hmm. by officers in the Capitol. Yes, I've gotten horrible threats." And just and, and talking about systemic racism as. I don't, I don't know that he used that word, but talking about the fact that these were just not, lots of things were not just, couldn't, they weren't just individual incidents. Well, they weren't just individual incidents, right? Which is a way of saying, mm -hmm. without using the word that's a boogeyman on his side, of saying that there are some things that are just incredibly entrenched in this country and we need to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And he's done this 180 because I guess of his career ambitions and it just, I just, I can't imagine. Yeah. I'm so glad that, that I have a family of people who love me because I would just like, never succumb to something that's awful. Like people who, who, would, who would check you and say like, where's your dignity? So, <laughs> yeah. So good yeah. luck with that. Really, yeah. Good luck with selling your soul as hard as you possibly fucking can. Good luck with your deathbed <laughs> and looking back and wondering what your legacy will be, how you will be remembered, and if it was all worth it. And look, we all, I'm not saying that we don't all, we aren't all actors on a stage or what have you, and that we're not all terribly flawed, or that we sometimes don't speak our principles as full-throatedly as we could, but my God, my God, it's just, who are you when the lights are out and you're, and you're sitting alone in the dark? I just, I wonder that. What is your, what is your internal voice like? Yeah, well, you probably have to ask Lindsey Graham who he is with the mic. <laughs> and on that note. On that note, I think we have uh, reached the end of the internet here, so. The end of the internet, yeah. We will yeah. call it a day on this one. Yeah. And let's see everybody next week. Signing off. Uh, all right. Till next time. Bye.